You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D, the podcast that explores the power of inclusion and why disability is an important part of the workplace diversity and inclusion conversation. Produced by the Ontario Disability Employment Network, with your hosts, Jeanette Campbell and Dean Askin. Hello and welcome to this episode of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. This show's all about exploring disability inclusion from all the angles. Now, some angles of disability inclusion are obvious, but some aren't. Well, this episode's going to be an insightful conversation about one of those angles that's not obvious and often overlooked, but it's one that creates some significant obstacles to inclusion. And we'll look at what's being done about that. Keep listening, and all will become clear. I'm Dean Askin, here along with my co-host. I'll throw it from my mic to your mic, Jeanette. What shall we call that throw? The Vulcan mic meld, I guess? You just couldn't resist that one, could you, Dean? I couldn't, being a Star Trek fan. Uh, So I am Jeanette Campbell, here at the other microphone, and this is episode six. And in this show about that not-so-obvious angle of disability inclusion, we're going to be talking about three letters, H-M-D. That stands for Hidden Mobility Disabilities. Now, if you've never heard this term before, chances are you're not alone. Disability is diverse, and some of the most common ones are invisible. There are actually over 500,000 Canadians who live with HMD. Jeanette, do you try to get out for a walk every day? I mean, you know what they say, it's good for our physical, metabolic, and mental well-being. I do, Dean, actually. I walked this morning, so almost every morning. What about you? Mm, Yeah, not so much now. Cycling's a lot easier on my feet. Seems my high-arch foot problems that I've had since I was a kid, well, they've finally caught up with me. Let's just say I can identify with and really relate to what we're exploring with our guests in this episode about HMD. If you're wondering just what a HMD is, well, generally, it's defined as the inability to walk any great distance or stand for a long time. Now, our two guests are going to shed more light on this and why it's a real accessibility and inclusion issue in our society. As this episode airs, it's June 4th, and we're in the middle of National Accessibility Week in Canada. So it's the perfect time to be talking about HMD and the HMD project as it relates to hidden mobility disabilities. The HMD project is spearheaded by the Hidden Mobility Disabilities Alliance. And that's a collaboration of organizations, researchers, and experts in the disability field. The project's funded by Accessibility Standards Canada, and it's exploring possible changes to federal accessibility standards that are needed to address hidden mobility disabilities. So some full disclosure here. The Ontario Disability Employment Network is the HMDA's primary partner in this project. ODIN is coordinating project participation by individuals and organizations. We're promoting information about the project, we've helped to develop a website, and we're delivering a national survey. Our two guests this episode are Dr. Dorothy Riddle and Dr. Haley Gano McConnell. 
Dorothy is the chief facilitator of the HMD project. She's a certified management consultant with a doctorate in clinical psychology and a doctoral minor in statistics and research methodology. She's been a social justice advocate for most of her professional life, and that includes, especially over the last several years, advocating for better accessibility for people who live with mobility issues. Dorothy Dean is also known as a passionate conduit of stories about the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia, where she's lived for over 30 years. And our other guest is the Odin lead on the HMD project. And Dr. Haley Gano-McConnell is one of Odin's diversity, equity, and inclusion specialists. She hails from an academic background and eagerly took on being the Odin lead on the HMD project. Haley has a doctorate in history and disability studies from York University. And like Dorothy, Haley's also passionate about where she lives. And I guess that's natural when you live where there is one of the natural wonders of the world. Haley's talking to us from Niagara Falls, Ontario. Welcome to the show, both of you. Hi, glad to be here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Dorothy, I want to venture out west and start with you out there on the Sunshine Coast. Tell me why the Hidden Mobility Disabilities Project is such an important one. Uh, Well, Dean, what we find is that people with hidden mobility disabilities so often think it's just their own personal problem, that they should be able to to walk further than 15 meters or stand unsupported uh, for more than a minute. And so they push themselves and they get into uh, real health problems. So we want to raise awareness about the issue and also start the dialogue on how, how to be sensitive to these issues, that people can have difficulty in walking and they need to be accommodated for that. It's not just the people that use wheeled mobility devices because those of us with HMD need to keep walking in order to remain mobile, but not walk too far. And I guess there really aren't any federal standards around all this, and there's that lack of awareness. So how does all of that play into the importance of the project? Well, I'm glad you raised that point, Dean, because uh, we've spent the last couple months uh, reviewing the key accessibility standards, federal accessibility standards that exist. And None of them address the issue of distance to be walked or time standing, which are the two barriers, access barriers for persons with HMD. So we have been making submissions to the uh, CSA group, which issues those standards and trying to influence changes in the standards. Tell me why on a personal level, it's so important for you to be leading this project. What prompted you to to do this? Um, I'd like to answer that in in two ways. Personally, uh, what happened for me was that, you know, I was an avid hiker. Uh, I was very physically active most of my life. I I grew up in the Himalayan mountains in India. uh, And I gradually had to cut back on what I could do physically. And it took me a long time to realize that it was an actual limitation. It wasn't that I wasn't exercising enough or I wasn't uh, doing enough. So 
that's what happened for me personally. But then I also began to ran, run into the stories of other people. And I want to just share one with you. Uh, I was in the airport in Vancouver uh, waiting for a flight. I, I, before the pandemic, I used to travel extensively internationally as a consultant. And I had learned how to manage the experience of being in the, in the airport in terms of mobility assistance. So I had a wheelchair there rather than coming on the van, uh, on the cart, because I knew we'd have to walk too far. So I, I'm sitting there, I've got this wheelchair <clears throat> from the airport and the cart pulls up at the gate and the cart is what takes people around the airport. And a woman gets off and starts to walk very, very, very slowly towards me. And when she sat down next to, her, to me, I said, you know, you look like you're in a lot of pain. She said, I only have one lung and it's very hard for me to walk very far. I said, well, you should have gotten wheelchair assistance. She said, well, I asked for it, but they told me that I could go on the cart. I said, well, at least, you know, when we get ready to board, you should get wheelchair assistance down to the plane. So just after that, a staff member came over to wheel me down in a wheelchair to the plane. And I said to her, this woman also needs to be taken to the plane in a wheelchair. And the staff member said to, her, said to my companion, um, I saw you walk over. I know you can walk. You don't need wheelchair assistance. And the woman herself said, well, you're, you're right, I can walk. And so she did not get wheelchair assistance. And I felt awful as I'm being wheeled past and she's walking very slowly towards the plane. This is, we have a bias in the society that people who can walk, can walk almost any distance. And I feel very passionate about getting recognition for those of us that need to keep walking, but only short distances. Wow. That's quite a tale of a lack of understanding as much of a lack of awareness, I guess. And also the internalizing societal's bias, society's biases. You know, it's hard. I'll tell you, it's hard to advocate for yourself and to say, no, I can't walk that far. No, you'll have to bring that to me. Uh, no, I need to sit down while you provide service to me. I can't stand that long. It's hard to keep having to say that over and over and over again. And, you know, Dorothy, that example that you just shared with us is something that I think really will help people who are listening to understand just exactly what what it is that you're talking about and how, how ingrained um, these assumptions are and and why this is such an important uh, project to be undertaking. And, uh, you know, so I think let's talk a little bit about about the project itself. And Haley, I'm going to I'm going to ask you, uh, Odin's been contracted to work on this project and you're you're the lead for it. Can you tell us a little bit about how the research is being done? Absolutely. Well, I think first and foremost, I want to point out that Dr. Riddle has designed quite a holistic uh, apparatus for this project. So the first being a resource, the HMD project website. It contains information and anecdotes such as the one that Dr. Riddle just shared about exactly what HMD is. 
So the project has a research component, but it also has an education component. Uh, we want to help promote the idea of that HMD exists, uh, that there are people who experience barriers due to HMD, and that we need to do something about improving access and standards at the federal level and ideally um, society-wide beyond that. So that's the first resource. But as far as how we're actually doing the research, there are two main methods. The first is a survey based on people's experiences accessing services and navigating their environment. Now, we want to be clear that this survey is open to Canadians of all abilities. And this is for a few reasons. The first is we want to understand generally how people interact with their environment. But in the uh, anecdote that Dorothy shared earlier of the woman who was struggling to um, make her way and navigate uh, through the airport, there are people who aren't prepared to accept that they have HMD, don't realize that it's a type of disability they can identify with, and don't know how to advocate for some of the access needs that they have. And so by taking the survey and opening it to up to everybody, um, regardless of ability, we're actually finding that people in going through the questions are starting to realize, maybe I am impacted by HMD in some ways and at some times. So it's really important for us to get as wide a representation of Canadians taking this survey as possible. A, a second way that we're collecting information for the project is through focus groups. And these are more so with uh, stakeholders who have some kind of say in how services are delivered or um, have a personal relationship to hidden mobility disabilities. And so these focus groups, uh, Dr. Riddle has designed to kind of grow and learn as the project goes along. So as we speak to constituents, as we gather feedback from the surveys, as we make connections with the community, we'll know how to guide these focus groups to better understand um, and reflect what we're learning about HMD as the project goes along. So those are the main ways that we're connecting with communities, spreading the word about HMD and getting the information and feedback from key stakeholders about what they know about HMD, how they're impacted by it, the kinds of barriers that they encounter, and uh, hopefully long-term allow us to think more clearly about how we address these issues. Thanks, Haley. And, and Dorothy, I'm, I'm going to ask you, I think Haley touched on this a little bit, but I would love your insight into, into this question. Um, why is it important for people to participate in this, in this research? Thanks for the chance uh, to address that. So I'd like to add to what Haley has just shared with us. One of the reasons why we want everyone to take the survey, and I'm serious, I'd love it if every Canadian, 15 years and older, were to take it, uh, is because we want to be able to compare the experience of those that have no mobility issues with the experience of people who do have mobility issues, whether they do or do not use a mobility, uh, wheeled mobility device. So we'll have three groups. We'll have people with no, no mobilities, those that regularly use a wheeled mobility device like a wheelchair or scooter, and those with HMD uh, who have a mobility limitation but regularly walk. And uh, just correct me if I'm wrong, I think uh, both of you might have covered some of this information already. How can people participate in the HMD project? Uh, okay, so let me elaborate on what Haley said. We have a website. It's at hmdproject.org, O-R-G. So if you go to hmdproject.org, on the front page, you'll find a link to the survey 
in either English or French, whichever is your preference. And then at the end of the survey, you'll, there's a question that asks you if you would be interested in participating in the focus groups. But I'd like to add one other thing. I, I would encourage people to go to the website because there's a lot of useful information on there. And one of the questions we've been asking people is, how are you learning about HMD? And one of the most common responses is through the information that's on the hmdproject.org website. We said in the intro that people may never have heard of HMD before. Dorothy, I guess it's kind of a broad description and I guess kind of a deep bucket sometimes. Can you shed some light on what kinds of things we're talking about when we're talking about hidden mobility disabilities? What's the range of them? Are we talking about everything from chronic pain to osteoarthritis to being an amputee or what? Okay, uh, good question. The In our research, we found that there are at least 30 medical conditions that may result in people uh, having HMD. Arthritis is the most common that comes up, but COPD and uh, uh, heart disease are also very common. Basically, we're talking about people who, the reason why we call it hidden is people who look like they're perfectly able to walk three, four, five blocks. There's nothing about them to give a signal that there's any kind of mobility issue. But if you watch someone like that walk, someone like myself, uh, if I walk further than about 15 meters, if you, if you are, uh, careful in watching me, you'll notice that I begin to stagger, that I begin to slow down. I may even come to a full halt because I'm getting, I'm in so much pain. And this is generally joint pain, but it can also be breathing difficulties that I just can't walk any further. And one of the things we'd like to do is to sensitize the public to the fact that they have people around them that they may assume are need no help at all, but in fact, really could use a helping elbow to lean on in order to get a little further. It's like you can have an accessible parking permit and you pull into an accessible space and to the person standing there, you may not look like you need that permit. I mean, I've experienced that a couple of times in my own life. So you've sort of touched on it, but how do HMD really affect the quality of life for people who live with them? In addition to the physical pain that, uh, that you'll create if you walk too far or stand too long, um, which, by the way, may continue on into the next day, uh, there's also a, an isolation that can set in and a sense of dependence, which is not uh, very pleasant. For example, if I need something uh, in a store uh, that is not accessible to me, then I have to ask somebody, my partner or friend, to drive with me and walk in and get it. Uh, now, that doesn't sound like that big a deal, and I'm lucky that I have people in my life that are willing to help me. But if you continually have to ask for help, and you cannot on your own independently go and take care of your own needs. It's psychologically wearing after a while. So it can create anxiety and depression. It's not just a physical issue. It's a mental health issue as well. 
Yes, it can become a mental health issue. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we're, we're trying to get the word out because it helps people if they know that they're not alone with this, that it's not their fault, that this is a physical, what's called actually technically a functional limitation, which is one form of disability, uh, that helps a little bit. And, you know, Dorothy, you're, you're talking about the importance of this project and, and letting people know that, you know, they're not alone. And, and so when you're doing these presentations and you're talking about this, what are you, what are you noticing? How much awareness is out there about hidden mobility disabilities? Uh, thanks. The most common response I get is, oh my goodness, I hadn't thought about this, or I didn't realize that what I'm experiencing is shared by other people, that this is a real, a real thing. Um, so, and that's very rewarding, that, that kind of wake-up awareness is part of what we're looking for. Um, and people who do not have HMD uh, say that they become more sensitized to you know, what's happening with people around them. And that's also something that, that we're trying. Very few people don't respond or seem to be indifferent. And, you know, Dorothy, that makes me think almost the opposite to my first question is, um, you know, you, you talked about this awakening that people are having when, when they learn about this. Why do you think there's such a lack of awareness about this? I mean, a mobility issue, we know statistically mobility issues are one of the top five disabilities in Canada, according to uh, recent data. So why do you think there's such a, such a disconnect here or that people are just not aware about HMD? Well, I think that there, there are at least two reasons. One is when you talk about a mobility issue, uh, most people immediately go to people who are using wheeled mobility devices. Mm -hmm. And there's an almost direct correlation in their mind. So as long as you're walking, like in the example I shared with you, uh, you're assumed to have no mobility issue. The second thing is if you think about uh, the messages that we get, uh, the emphasis is on healthy living being equated to walking. You, know, you should get out, get that 30 minute walk each day, right? Get your heart rate up, get, you know, good air, all of that kind of stuff. So the idea that you are limited in your walking is a negative, right? And there's a problem somehow there. Yeah. And, you know, Dorothy, I'll just, I'll add, you're, you're making me think and reflect on a recent personal experience where, um, you know, I am somebody who likes to be very physically active. And this winter, I had a, a rather serious fall while I was skating. And um, it took an, a, about six to seven weeks before um, I could walk to the end of my street. Uh, and when I went to um, a chiropractor to find out, did I break something? What have I, what have I damaged? You know, I'm not, I don't bounce anymore. I'm not a kid. Uh, and, and what you're saying is resonating with me because he kept telling me that motion is lotion 
for my for my joints and I kept saying I can't walk every day I'm having a hard time walking upstairs I'm I can't walk through the grocery store mm-hmm. um and it was just keep walking so that really there even even in in some of the professional fields I think maybe there's a bit of um awareness raising that your project could do yeah yeah and also you know one of the responses that that I get is uh you know, if I'm talking about trying to make uh, a location or a service accessible, they say, well, just use a wheelchair. Well, it's true that in order to get through the airport or someplace like that, I do depend on there being a complimentary wheelchair available to me. But that's not the solution because I need to remain mobile, but I need to remain, remain mobile at distances of less than 15 meters. Uh-huh. And I'll just link that to another issue right now, because, you know, what we say is you need to be able to sit and rest after 15 uh, meters. And people report generally if they can rest for five minutes, that then they may be able to walk on. OK, but what's happening in our environment is that benches are being removed because of homeless people using them. And I'm sensitive to the homeless issue, but we also need the benches to be able to sit down and rest, those of us that can't walk long distances. And actually, I was just talking to a woman from Canada Post the other day about accessibility in post offices and uh, the fact that by the time you walk from a parking lot to the post office, you need to rest. So if you could just have a seat right inside the door, that would be handy. And she said that actually they don't do that because people loiter there. And she said, you know, you could ask for a chair and we'd bring you one. I said, how would I know that I could ask? Mm-hmm. If there's no signage anywhere. Right. Right. And it's, you know, you're raising an interesting issue. And I, I think Dean's got a burning question, but, uh, but I'll just say, you know, you are raising an interesting issue in that uh, sometimes people, uh, uh, procedures or or strategies that are not necessarily very well informed that are, are used to 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 tackle an issue end up creating five more issues and it's mm-hmm. unfortunate that you know uh, our way of dealing with precarious housing and and the homelessness situation in Canada which is you know much much higher on the west coast as well um, is is to a band-aid solution of well let's just take away the benches and in the end they're not addressing the homelessness issue and they're creating a whole you know swatch of of other issues for for society to be able to enjoy their 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 environment so Mm -hmm. that's that's interesting that you would bring that up Mm -hmm. um dean it's almost like society is moving at such a fast pace now that there is an assumption that everybody just wants and can get from point A to point B just like that with no problem. Dorothy, when you were talking about going through the airport, it reminded me of back in 2012 when I was coming home from a business trip to Texas and I had to go through JFK Airport and it must be a kilometer. I had to go from one terminal to another and that airport must be a good kilometer from one point to the other. And I don't know if I could walk that distance now. So I hear what you're saying about the airport. 
I want to talk to Haley for a minute here. Haley, you mentioned the focus groups that are involved in this research project. And I guess the focus groups are where you want to hear people's stories and their feedback. Now, have you done any focus groups yet? I know you come from an academic research background, and I know academic researchers don't go on gut feelings and instincts. But what's involved here? One of these focus groups starting, and if you're not going on gut feelings and intuition, what are you hoping you're going to learn from all these focus groups? Well, this for me is the most exciting part of the project, which is connecting to communities who may or may not be impacted directly by HMD. And I think that's one of the first things, not that we just hope to learn, but that we hope, hope to educate about through things like focus groups, which is that more than likely, everybody over the, their lifespan will be impacted by HMD. It could be long-term, it could be temporary. We could be talking about, for example, uh, chronic illness, chronic pain, arthritis, but even something temporary like an injury, as uh, Jeanette mentioned, she recently experienced, or pregnancy, that can change a person's mobility. And so by engaging in these focus groups, we can have, I think, a more in-depth conversation about what this looks like, who's impacted by HMD, how they're impacted, how they think about it. And so um, we're going to be covering that in our first focus group is at the end of May, and hopefully we'll be holding monthly focus groups thereafter and connecting with different types of stakeholders. And the nice thing is that Dorothy and I will have the chance to talk about what was gleaned from the first set of focus groups and then apply that to future focus groups uh, to be able to say, okay, this is sort of the general baseline knowledge on the ground, or here's some things we didn't think about as we began this project, but now it's encouraging us to dig deeper into one avenue of this project than another. And so that's really the purpose of the focus group is not only for us to engage stakeholders to understand the concept of HMD and get them talking and thinking about it, but having that information from the community reflected back at us so that we as researchers can think, continue to think about HMD in, uh, in new and interesting ways. As far as what we hope to learn, um, I mean, we like to keep an open mind because this is a learning and growing type of exercise. But I mean, at minimum, based from feedback in the surveys and focus groups, um, we hope to identify the general percentage of people who are impacted by HMD, what the general public thinks and knows about HMD. We'd like to get feedback on identifying best or promising practices in eliminating barriers different people who are impacted by HMD might benefit more from one type of support or another. So whether that's a bench to sit on to take a rest or whether it's a modification to the physical environment, such as um, you know, different incline of steps, railings, this is really what we want to learn from um, stakeholders. So my, you're asking about my gut instinct. My gut instinct is that this is a wider issue a deeper issue and an even more fascinating issue um, than we than any of us are aware of. Um, and once we again engage with engage with a large group of people, we're going to find the nitty gritty uh, is both informative, um, but I think also just revolutionary in in the way that we think about things. And what I hope that we as researchers can impart through the work that we're doing, and this relates to a very important point that Dorothy made is that HMD tends to, those affected by HMD tend to live with internalized ableism. And what that means is that they tend to believe, like Jeanette was speaking about her experience with a chiropractor, they tend to believe what they hear from society, that it's a personal failing. You're not walking long enough, you're not trying hard enough, that there's something about the way you're managing your own health that's contributing to the problems of HMD. 
And so they see their bodies as the limitation rather than the environment. And so that's a big misconception that we are hoping to not only clear up, but um, change the conversation around. And again, engaging with stakeholders through things like focus groups really allows us to turn those ideas on their head, turn them over and look at them from a new perspective and say, actually, it's the built environment that, you know, um, that furnishes these barriers. Um, and actually, as Dorothy says, the way that your body moves in an environment, sometimes you can walk a longer distance, stand for a longer amount of time, that can change day to day. And so understanding and respecting your body's abilities and also its needs are really critical to changing the conversation around HMD. If somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, you know, I really want to share my information and my story, how are you finding people for these focus groups? Is it all coming out of people going online and doing the survey and then people get asked if they want to be in a focus group too? How does it work? Yeah, so the majority of participants that we uh, have signed up for focus groups so far are just those who were directed to the survey, most likely through uh, the hmdproject.org website. And after completing the survey, they're given the option to have their say or um, extend their say in the form of participating in a focus group. And so they're correct, uh, connected directly to an email where they can express their interest. And then they're given a number of dates and times and they can choose whichever works best for them. The other way that we're connecting with people though is, um, well, that's kind of what Odin's role is. So the Ontario Disability Employment Network is a member-based network. And so we're, we're a connector, Odin is a connector and we have uh, connections with people who are in the disability community that are, I think the message is resonating with them as they're attending events or special engagement events that Odin is hosting that discuss HMD. So we've had participants sign up for focus groups through that because they are having, as uh, Dr. Riddle mentioned, kind of an awakening. They'll attend an event, they'll visit the website and they'll say, ah, this is an issue that we're not paying enough attention to as service providers or as stakeholders in the disability community, but wow, it makes perfect sense that this is something we need to think about and have our say in. And what I'm appreciating is people who are coming to the table and showing up and signing up for the focus groups. Some of them are tentative at first saying, well, gee, I'm not really an expert in this. I don't know if I'm the right person to speak to this. And my advice to them is actually, you're the exact right person to engage in this. We don't want experts. We want, you know, concerned citizens, so to speak. You acknowledge that this is an issue and you think that you may have something to say about it or even a role in changing um, some of the conditions uh, of the environment in which people with HMD live. So come have a conversation. Dean, can I add just two things to that? Please. I really appreciate everything that Haley just said. Um, I, I want to underscore that one of the things that we want to learn about is how do people's attitudes change? You know, and I think that that's going to be a, a very fruitful discussion in uh, the focus groups. The other thing is that if any group wants a presentation on this, if somebody's listening and saying, as Haley mentioned, you know, we're not paying attention to this, we as, as staff or service providers or whatever uh, would like to uh, learn more and be more aware you can ask the Hidden Mobility Disabilities Alliance, which is the sponsor of this project, and I, I'm the president of that, uh, for that assistance. And you can email us at alliance at hiddenmobilitydisabilities.com. So that's alliance at hiddenmobilitydisabilities, plural, 
www.ncpsf.com. Uh, and we are happy to provide a presentation to you. I was going to say, Dean, correct me if I'm wrong, are we able to post uh, some of those those links uh, where people find the podcast? Can we drop some of that information in anywhere? We'll figure that out. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Okay, great. Well, yeah, Dorothy, we'll make sure that people know that. And so, Dorothy, that makes me, um, sort of leads me to to my next question for you is, when all of the survey and uh, survey data is collected and analyzed and all the focus groups have taken place, what happens after that? Excellent question. Um, we, we will be rep uh, preparing a written report for Accessibility Standards Canada, which is the funder of this project. Uh, and we will also prepare a summary to send out to all interested participants. So anybody that has contacted us already, anyone through Odin's network uh, will have a summary. And I believe we will, uh, uh, the Alliance will commit to keeping the project uh, website active after the end of the project. So that's the hmdproject.org website. And we will post the, uh, the full report and also the summary and the various handouts that we've developed, all of those materials uh, for community users, we will keep posted on that website. And this project's not ending anytime soon, right? Uh, this is a three-year project. Uh, that sounds like a long time to be doing a research project. Why so long? Well, that's the that's the time frame that Accessibility Standards Canada gave us. And I have to tell you, Dean, it, it sounds like a long time, but I'm I myself have been undertaking some of the phone calls to try to, uh, for example, talk to federally regulated entities about their accessibility plans, trying to get HMD into that process. And trying to find the right person in the organization to talk to takes months sometimes. So you, you add all of that up, it's gonna take us the full time to reach out to all of the, uh, the different folks that we want to, and, we, and to gather all the data that we want to gather. Wow, I guess just wading through the protocols and the, and the bureaucracy eats up a whole chunk of the project time then. That's right. The, my anticipation is that, you know, we, we can start putting, well, the hmdproject.org uh, website is already uh, full of useful information, but we'll keep posting additional materials there that people can use. Now, this is all being done primarily to look into whether federal accessibility standards need to be changed for the federal government. But apart from that, what else are you hoping to get from this project? I mean, what behaviors and perceptions are you trying to change with this project? Well, I think attitude change is a big one. And it's not just attitudes about others, it's attitudes about yourself, as we've been talking about that internalized feeling that I have to, that if there's, if I have limited mobility, it's a personal failing somehow. Uh, so the educational component, the awareness component is important and influencing, but, but also influencing what's happening uh, in federal, the delivery design and delivery of federal programs and services. There is nothing right now 
that addresses HMD, nothing in federal standards. So we've got a lot of work. And, you know, Dorothy and, and Haley, you've given us a lot of information about, um, you know, the relationship between people and their physical environments. Uh, you've talked about this, the, the lack of um, accessibility standards that address distance walked and time standing. Um, and, and you've touched on why all of those things are, are really, really important. So I'm going to ask both of you, why do you think, what, not why, what do you think um, it says about our society in 2022, when there is this limited awareness about HMD and no accessibility standards related to it when this is, as Dean had said earlier in the intro, you know, affecting at least a half a million Canadians. Haley, I'll let you answer first. Oh, sure. Thank you, Dorothy. Well, I imagine that part of what it is, is there's an element of denial among people who are providing services, thinking about the limitations of the services that they're offering and the barriers that exist. It's really difficult to confront a problem when you don't know how to solve it. And so acknowledging that there is a problem, but not having the resources or the feedback from stakeholders about, well, gosh, it's hard to access certain elements of this environment if you live with a hidden mobility disability, but just because something's difficult to access doesn't mean that provides the answer of how to deal with it. And so the great thing about this project is engaging with as large a number of stakeholders as we can. It's kind of a putting our heads together situation um, so that we can take this issue head on and make well-informed recommendations about how to improve federally, um, federally accessible environments. And then the other kind of denial component to it is not just those who might have the power to make the change um, and create more accessible environments, but it's those who, again, may not be aware of the extent to which they're living with HMD. Um, and that denial can come in many forms. One of it is that sometimes it's just difficult to admit that you need um, help and support, as uh, Dorothy mentioned earlier in the conversation. Um, when you feel as though your independence is being challenged in some way because you don't have the right supports and services to support that independence, that's, that's something that can be challenging for some people to confront. But the other thing is that because those living with HMD, their needs and the way they interact with their environment uh, is oftentimes stigmatized, there is this tendency uh, for people to just you know push on, push through. And again, it comes down to that belief that it's a personal failing and therefore a personal responsibility to address these issues versus a bodily limitation, which we all have in different ways at different times. And we will all confront throughout our lifespan. Um, you know, our viewers can't see us, but Jeanette and I are both wearing glasses right now. Um, and if somebody were to shame us to wearing our glasses and we had to go without our glasses, we would have a very difficult time functioning. Um, so in many ways, all of our bodies present limitations to us. And so when we acknowledge the reality of human bodies and that they have different needs at different times, um, I think that conversation can roll a lot smoothly and people will be more open to accepting the idea of what it is to live with HMD. And Dorothy, what about, what about you? What do you think it says in our, this, this limited awareness? Well, I just, I'd like to answer that by sharing an anecdote. Um, I have a uh, sports medicine specialist who is supposed to be my special, specialty doctor, uh, whom I've, I've seen twice. Um, 
I have not gone back because the last time I tried to visit my doctor. Now remember, this is somebody who deals with sports injuries and with people who have mobility limitations. So here's what I have to do to get to that doctor's office. I can park in the, the accessible parking space and walk at least 15 meters to the, to the beginning of the building. Fortunately, there is a place to sit right inside. So I sit and I rest. Then it's about 15 meters over to the elevator where there's no place to, to sit while I wait for the elevator. Then I go up a couple of floors. Then it's about 30 meters to the office, the door of the office of this doctor. Then when I get in there, then I have to, if, if you imagine one of those kind of cube, cube shaped things, uh, he's down three sides of the cube. So the last time I went, uh, I was, the nurse walked me back to his office and about uh, a, th a third of the way there, I pulled a chair that was sitting behind an empty desk out and I sat down. She said, what are you doing? I said, I can't walk any further without resting. And she got really angry at me. And, uh, you know, you're going to be late for the doctor and stuff. So then I got up and we walked again some further and I have to sit down again in order to get to the doctor. Okay, so then I get to the doctor. Now, by this time, I'm in such pain. Uh, I can almost not concentrate on the conversation that we're having. Why in the world would I ever go back and see this professional? And this is somebody who is supposed to deal with people like me. So this is a very, uh, this issue has many tentacles that need to be addressed in terms of lack of awareness, you know, not thinking about the implications of uh, limited mobility on people. And I think it's, again, because we have been trained when we think about mobility issues to think about the use of wheeled mobility devices. So we have become, not perfect, but much, much better at providing access for people that use wheelchairs, scooters. And that's wonderful, but we've left out and the standards have completely left out the people who have limited mobility. And I think that uh, that reflection and that, that personal experience that you're sharing really makes me think that maybe three years for this project isn't long enough because it sounds like you could, we could be doing three or four years of just awareness building um, and so yeah thank you for sharing that. Dorothy I'm wondering for anyone who's listening out there what's the main message you want to get across to them right now what's the main piece of advice what's the takeaway here? Don't assume that normal is being able to walk more than 15 meters. And so, it, you know, I, I love that piece of advice, Dorothy, don't assume uh, and and find out more and, and investigate this. So, so on that note, Haley and Dorothy, um, I think somebody named a goal at the beginning of this conversation, but how much participation would you like to see in in the HMD project, is it is it safe to say how many how many Canadians would you like to to have complete the survey? Well, I'd like everybody, but I'd like at least four thousand. Four thousand. Yeah. Okay. Because I'd like to be able to give a realistic estimate 
of what percentage of the population have HMD. And we can only do that if we get people who don't have HMD uh, also taking the survey, right? If we can get a really good representative cross-section of the population, uh, then we can start saying, ah, well, it's actually more than half a million people because it's really about, you know, I don't know what percent of the population, 25% of the population? Yeah, I'm shooting I, higher just, than that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Dorothy. Yeah. No, I'd just like to add one other thing. It's, it's one of the questions that I get that I forgot to address is uh, whether HMD is age-related. And in our research, we've had people as young as 15 respond in ways that show that they do have HMD. Because remember, over 30 health conditions can produce this. But it is true that as one ages, one's mobility may become more limited. And I would just like to underscore what Haley said before. This can happen because you've had an accident. Uh, anyone can have HMD at any time in their life. So we need to all embrace ways to be aware and to live with this and to be kind to ourselves if we do have limited mobility. That's a good reminder. Be kind to ourselves. And yes, Haley, I'm wondering if you have uh, what I always like to call a, a BHAG, so a big, hairy, audacious goal um, for the number of, uh, of respondents. Well, I'm thinking all Canadians coast to coast is, you know, bare minimum. Um, that's what I'm looking <laughs> for. But uh, realistically, um, as Dorothy's saying, the larger the number, the more representative the sample and the more weight the data holds. And so that's a really important benchmark. But I think what else will happen if we get a really large number of respondents is that that shows that people are engaged with this concept and that they care. And that's another way to show impact of the research, not just by how many people are living with and affected by HMD, but how many people thought it was worth their time to weigh in on this conversation and say, wow, you know, and as, especially as Dorothy has mentioned, when they go to take the survey, they're directed to the hmdproject.org website. And so they have, you know, the, the opportunity to be educated and made a little bit more aware of this concept. And then when they head into the survey, I think they're going with, in with eyes open a little bit more. And hopefully by the end of the survey, they'll know more about HMD, but about themselves, their own abilities, the environments that they interact with every day, and kind of the meaning behind all of that. Um, and ultimately, uh, that will enable them to be stewards in their own communities to say, you know, <laughs> I went to this interesting website, I took the survey, it made me realize a lot about what we're doing wrong um, as a society in terms of providing access, um, the needs, my own needs that I'm not addressing because I didn't know that I was allowed to ask. So that's where, again, you know, it's not just a data collection perspective from this, it's the perspective of the impact we're going to have on people. The more people who go to the website, the more people who learn about the concept and the more people who take the survey, the, the more power the message is going to have. I'm trying to picture how many decades it would take to pour through all that research data if all 35 million or so Canadians took this survey and, and did focus groups. Uh, fortunately, we've got an excellent statistician on, on the team, and he would be the one that would be uh, dealing with that. Um, I just want to comment that one of the resources on the hmdproject.org uh, website is a tip sheet 
tips of best practices for how to make um, services accessible for persons with limited mobility. So I would encourage you to look around and see how we can be helpful to you. This has been a great conversation with the rest of the world listening in. You've both had some deep, amazing insights. I just want to ask, you know, have we talked about all the key points in this? Or is there anything else before we go that you think is important to mention? I feel like we've been pretty thorough. I, I, the main thing that I would just emphasize for people is, you know, be aware for yourself of what your actual functional limitations are. And be aware of the people around you who could maybe use a little bit of assistance. Thank you for that final insight. You've both been great. Now, I know the survey is a big part of this project. So Haley and Dorothy, I just want to tell you, I did the survey. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I did it too. I have done it. And, and I do want to say it didn't, it really didn't take very long either. So this is not a, a large time commitment to be able to participate in this and, and support this project. It didn't take me long to do it either. And I have to say it was a bit of a strange feeling answering the questions and I'm thinking hmm, and realizing that I was actually self-identifying with an HMD as I was answering some of those questions. Mm-hmm. And now, especially after having this conversation with Dorothy and Haley, we know that the whole thing with research studies is that the more data you have, the more authoritative the study can be. And that's one of the, one of the reasons why it's so important when it comes to accessibility in, in our society and our communities that we have as, as many people as possible participating in this. So we're going to end off with a plug for how people can participate in the HMD project. If you're a fellow Canadian who's listening to this episode right now, hey, whether you live with a mobility issue or not, take a few minutes, visit hmdproject.org. That's H-M-D-P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot org and answer the survey. And think about participating in one of the focus groups our guests talked about. As we mentioned, there are over 35 million Canadians. And I guess as researchers, you'd be ecstatic if all of them did the survey. But then I guess it'd take years to go through all that data. Reminds me of a movie I watched recently where it took seven years to get the results of scientific findings. And so uh, we'll close with saying that that's it for this episode of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. I'm Jeanette Campbell. And I'm Dean Askin. Wherever you're listening from, thanks again for listening to this episode of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. Join us each episode as we have insightful conversations like this one and explore the power of inclusion, disability and employment, and the business benefits of disability inclusion from all the angles. You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D is produced in Toronto, Canada by the Ontario Disability Employment Network, all rights reserved. Our podcast production team, executive producer and host, Jeanette Campbell. Our producer is Sue Defoe, associate producer and host and audio production, Dean Askin. Our podcast theme is Last Summer by Ixon. If you have feedback or comments about an episode, contact us at info at odennetwork.com. That's info at O-D-E-N-E-T-W-O-R-K dot com. 
Listen to You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D on Podbean or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you.